0: Uh, but uh, anyway, we uh, man we're so glad to, to have you with us this morning uh, just a quick uh, thing about the message this morning I'm going to be talking through some scripture uh, that gets a little graphic so I'm giving you a heads up if you've got your kids in here you're okay with that I'm okay with that. It's all from the Lord so uh, just making sure that you know ahead of time so you don't complain about it later. Uh, but uh, no, this is uh, it's a good. This is a good series uh, that we have gotten into. Uh, uh, this this whole this whole idea of idols and how we fall into worshiping other things uh, is is something that plagues our lives. It's it's just something that we're we're constantly fighting against. Uh, in fact, I, you know I read a quote I think last week of something to the effect of. You know that all of Scripture is basically the rejection of idols throughout uh, the story of God. You know, and and I think that's very true. I think, and I think for our lives that's very true. I think we constantly, you know, find ourselves. Um, you know, continually struggling uh, with worshiping something else other than Jesus. Uh, God wired us up. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. God wired us up that we would that we would worship, that we would adore, uh, that we would always want to put something on the throne in our lives. Uh, And he did that so that we would connect to him. He did that so that we would worship him and get to know him more and and grow deeper in a relationship with him where we would be infatuated uh, with him uh, because he knows that he is the best thing for us. Uh, And so, uh, you know, but the truth is is that uh, that little thing that uh, is in us that causes us to worship and that desire... Uh, you know, we, we turn that. We turn that toward all kinds of things in life. And I mean, literally anything in life can be an idol. Literally anything that we make an ultimate thing, that we make something so important to our lives that if you took it out of our lives, we felt like we couldn't go on, that's an idol. That's, that's what that is. And so, uh, you know, just uh, just just even thinking about that, you know, uh, and, and today we're we're going to go over a passage of scripture where we see uh, love being, being the idol and, and, and uh, people being the objects of the affection. And we saw, we saw a little bit of that last week. We talked about Abraham and, and Isaac and how God called him to, to go get ready to sacrifice his son. And God was never going to have him actually sacrifice his son. God And God didn't need, you know, we talked about this, God didn't need, a, didn't need to see Abraham prove himself to God God wanted Abraham to go through that to prove to himself who was his God. Was it his kid or was it the Lord? And so, you know, you look back on that and it's like, man, what a what a crazy what a crazy thing. Well, uh, you know, with, with that being said, and, and what uh, and what the um, what the message is about today, I wanted to read to you just a little bit of a, a sonnet here, uh, and I'm going to kind of jump into the middle of it. And you may have heard it before, but I just want to. I want to share it with you and, and, and hear the words to it. It says, your lights are on, but you're not home. Your will is not your own. Your heart sweats, your teeth grind. Another kiss, and you'll be mine. Woe! you like to think that you're immune to the stuff oh yeah it's closer to the truth to say you can't get enough you know you're gonna have to face it you're addicted to love it took some of you that long to catch up with the rest of us right Funny as the song is, the song is really good toward the message today. And you can listen to it on your own later on and see for yourself just how accurate uh, that song uh, describes us with how sometimes we can love something, but especially how we can love somebody and like our life can't go on without that person. You know, idols, uh, you know, a good thing. Uh, has become an idol when it demands on us an excessive an an, and exceeds proper boundaries in our lives. You know, when, when we when we have taken something where we start to change all the rules, all of these things that we've set in place that are close to us to help protect us. And then we start to go over those things. You know, working yourself into bad health. Uh, breaking laws to get ahead. Uh, doing anything to not be alone. You know anybody like that? Doing anything to not be alone. Even staying in an abusive relationship. We know folks like that. Maybe, maybe you have found yourself there. Listen, that's, a, that's an easy place to get to. And if you have ever been there or you're there now, just know there shouldn't be shame with that. It's a matter of just seeing what the idol is and being able to move away from it. Keller says to practice idolatry makes us slaves, including the case of love. This series that we're going through is loosely based off, and I've never done this before, based off of a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. And uh, I'll refer back to him probably a little bit later. Uh, as well but uh, you know this has just been kind of a uh, kind of a jumping off point for us to have something to to look at and go over some different different passages of Scripture uh, throughout this Uh, we become addicted to love that's the truth of our life and uh, you know if you look back and you we just talked about Abraham and Isaac and all of that well then Isaac would go on to marry Rebecca and they would have two sons Esau and Jacob and Jacob would actually be chosen through prophecy to be the continued lineage to what would eventually be the Messiah. And so we talked about that. Remember how, you know, we talked about how God spared Isaac's life and how he would use Isaac and his lineage to do this great thing one day down the road. We see this with other people throughout Scripture and, and how God is doing that and weaving in and out in just crazy ways. And... Uh, and Jacob was not the oldest son and so a lot of times especially back in ancient times the oldest son was the was the one that you would you know put all your you know put all your marbles in and you know invest in that guy and everything and, and so even Isaac here after all that he and his dad went through with the Lord and all the prophecy and all that kind of stuff you know he knew he knew the prophecy about Jacob but yet he still invested in Esau uh, ignoring the prophecy because Esau was his oldest son and he was so dedicated to the oldest son thing. And so then, as the story goes, and this is all in the book of Genesis, I think around chapter 25, Jacob dresses up as his brother because he's sneaky like that. And he goes to his dad, who at this point is, you know, pretty much blind and all of this. And he receives the blessing to lead out that. Esau was going to get in rebellion against the prophecy, and Jacob ends up getting that blessing. Of course, this turns into a huge ordeal with the family. Uh, you know, when dad finds out, you know, that, the, that he, you know, has, has given this, you know, to the wrong brother and all this kind of stuff. And so then Jacob has to go on the run, and Jacob does go on the run, and he ends up actually far away with the family of his mother Rebecca, her family. And so in this situation, he goes and he's so then he's looking, he's already been told, hey, you're gonna find a wife. And so that's where we pick up today. And this is the passage that I want us to read today. Out of Genesis chapter 29. In fact, if you got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. I'm going to Genesis 29. If you don't have a Bible, let our ushers bring you one and just throw your hand up. And let them know you need it. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to take it with you. Genesis 29. And in verse 9, we pick up a little bit into the story here. You can go back and check out some of the beginnings. In fact, it'll tell you a little more specific. I forget the specific of, of how they're related. I think, I think basically they're cousins. Uh, you know, but anyway, uh, in verse 9, uh, we see him first see one of the daughters whose name is Rachel. And in verse 9 it says this. And it says, while he was still speaking with them, this is, this is Jacob talking to some of Laban's uh, workers out in the field who are, are watching sheep and this kind of thing. It says, while he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. son, that's the kind of lady you need right there on the farm, a shepherdess, right? I mean, when was the last time you were, you know, like out with your buddies and it's like, oh, she, yeah, she's she's a nice, oh, she's a shepherdess, you know? For she was a shepherdess, verse 10, got to have a little fun with it. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, there it is, and the sheep of Laban uh, let's see. and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. We're going to get that straight, right? And then Jacob kissed, J- Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And so, like, I mean, he sees this woman and he's like, oh, I'm all over this. I mean, like, he's not, he's not waiting a flat second. He just got a little piece of prophecy in on him. You're going to find a wife with one of these daughters. He sees Rachel. He's like, oh, yeah, this is the one. And so then verse 12, it goes on. It says, and Jacob told Rachel that he uh, was her father's kinsman, that they were related, uh, and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then in verse 15, we pick up. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, because we're related, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel, who we've already met, the shepherdess, right? And Leah's eyes, verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and stature and appearance. So Leah, let's, let's stop there for just a second. Because... You know, when we when we hear this phrase, it, it, to us this doesn't mean as much as what it meant to them. Uh, but Leah's eyes were weak, wasn't? You know, there's some people who are like, oh, you know, she, you know, she just, you know, she had a, she had a problem with her eyes, and some and some people, as some theologians even argue, well, she had, you know, she was probably cross-eyed or something, you know, was part of it. But but what we're getting at, the most important piece of this is made up with the second part of that line. It says Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So there's a comparison going on. We've got the ugly duckling and the princess that just left the castle. You know, that's, 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 kind of the, that's kind of what we've got going on here. And in verse 18, it picks up. It says, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So at this point, we're a month into knowing each other. Of course, he, he kissed her like as soon as he saw her with her sheep, you know, because he was just like, man, you, you're really good with those sheep. And so, uh, and so he kissed her, you know, right off the bat. And, uh, and ladies, that will teach you to be careful around sheep. Uh, but he kissed her right off the bat. And then now he has stayed a month with them. And after a month of staying with them, and it's obvious he's not going anywhere. He kind of can't go home. Because there's trouble at home because of what happened, right? And then we've got this whole situation here, and he is now fallen in love with Rachel. It says Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, "I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel." So he's so he's he's saying, you know, hey bro, uh, just just give me your daughter. You got seven years of my life. And so then we go on, verse nineteen. Laban said, "It is better that I give her to you." than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So he loved this girl. And you're like, man, that's great. He found he found love. In fact, I'll be honest with you, in, in, in ancient times, At that point, a lot of times, people didn't get married for love. And this is one of the things I I got to read about. You know, it was actually kind of rare that people married for love because so many people were just betrothed. You're going to, well, you're going to marry this guy and you're going to marry this girl and that's the way it is and you'll like it, you know, kind of thing. And uh, glad it's not that way now. And, you know, we've got this situation here where, you know, he's willing to just work. I'm going to work. I'm going to tend the farm. Seven years, whatever you need me to do. Seven years, I'm your boy. Just give me your daughter at the end of seven years. Sounds great. He's in love. He's gonna make it happen. He's literally willing to give his life to marry this girl. Seven years, seven years. I don't. I don't and I don't know if I don't. I don't think they're getting a the date. I think she's just kind of like he just gets to like see her. I don't know if he's like trying to run sneak kisses when she's running the sheep or what. But I mean. This is what's happening. And then in verse 21, just when you think this is all sewn up and easy, it says, Then Jacob said to Laban, this is the end of seven years, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So he's like, Hey, bro, it's time. I'm ready to have sex with my wife. That's what it says, okay? And then in verse 22, so Laban, and just a map, first of all, who gets away with saying that to the mother of their future bride? Right? I mean, mean, even on your wedding day, I can't imagine like, hey, pops, come over here. Let me talk to you for just a second. Let me tell you what's about to happen. Now, verse 22, it says, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. So they have a big party. It's time for the wedding. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. Let's stop right there. In the evening when it's dark and they don't have electricity and apparently they didn't have torches just hanging around like we see in the movies. Okay? Cuz I I've, I've always kind of felt like I really don't think they probably just had torches on the walls everywhere, you know? And so in the evening, when he can't see, and she's probably, as the bride, heavily veiled, okay? So he couldn't see which daughter it was. Pay attention to what it says there. He took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob. You remember Leah, right? She was weak in the eyes, okay? Now, guys, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I don't think that I would try to use that line on your wife at any point because I think at this point she understands that that's probably not a good thing if you said, if she says, how do I look? And you say, you're looking a little weak in the eyes. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. He says, but in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. This is not good. So he thinks he's getting Rachel, and dad brought him Leah. Now, maybe it's because he said what he said about it's time for me to get married. I don't know. But either way, well, we get a little bit here in just a minute. It's, it's, it's a trick. The whole thing been a trick, and Laban had been planning on playing, playing his boy all along. Verse 24, it says, Laban gave his female servant Zilphath to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. He's just making, you know, he's like, oh, well, you know the tradition around here. You know, we don't marry the, you know, the younger one off until we've got somebody for the older one. So guess what, buddy? you got the older one. And if you go back and you look at what was said, Laban actually never says you specifically get to have this one. verse 27 it says complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years so he's like contract changed here's the new contract you're already married to the older one but I'll let you have the other one in a week So I'm I'm guessing this was like to just kind of make sure that the first marriage had a week to celebrate, which I, I don't think Jacob is celebrating. And they're like, you know, but in a week I'll give you her, but then in turn you have to give me another seven years of your life. And in verse 28 it says, Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be His wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah, love these names, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Man, that's a lot. You know, I, I think the thing that is the, the undercurrent going on here is that Jacob is love drunk. You know? And Laban sees this. He sees this in Jacob. He sees how desperate he is to marry Rachel. So much so that he, he, he as a dad who sees his not-so-pretty daughter and he sees opportunity knocking that he actually will be able to marry her off where maybe he was worried nobody would ever marry her or he wouldn't be able to talk somebody into it or whatever. And he does this. But in doing so, he's just, I mean, it's just ruining lives, you know. On top of all this, Jacob is, is so crazy like worshiping the ground that she walks on over Rachel, that he can't see past the fact that he probably should just let it go. And you know, I got married, you know, whatever. I don't know. You know, there's a whole lot back then to, you know, at that point in time would be a lot easier to deal with this situation in this day and age, get annulled, you know, whatever it is. Not so easy then. They probably would have killed him, no telling what else. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter because he was so in love with Rachel. He was like, I'll do anything. Another seven years, fine, whatever. Just give me Rachel. Well, you go on and you see in this passage what happens between the three of them. Because now they're all, you know, in the mix, okay? And In verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord was looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So Leah is now at this point having children in order to try to win the love of her husband, Jacob. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard me that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And sons were a big deal back in the day. We've already covered that in past weeks. Now this time my, son will be, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne three sons. Therefore... His name shall be called Levi. And then in verse 35, something's different. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is what we do. We take a thing that's a good thing. A person that we're in love with can be a good thing, obviously. So a job can be a good thing, a, you know, whatever. A thing, a thing can be a good thing. But we turn it into an ultimate thing where we make it so much our life's mission to conquer the mountain of that thing and make our life all about that thing that when we lose that thing, or it's jeopardized. Our lives fall apart. Even Leah. And poor Leah. I mean, let's just face it. Poor Leah, she gets caught in the middle of like one of the craziest situations that I can think of. I mean, I, you know, and in this day and age, this wouldn't happen. At least I hope it wouldn't. I? You know, no telling. This world's crazy enough. But we see this crazy situation that she gets thrown into. She didn't ask for this. You know, she we don't have any. You know, oh, I want to, I want to marry Jacob. You know, help me marry Jacob. You know, kind of. We we don't get that. And on top of all that, she's married to a guy who doesn't love her. So then she starts having kids to try to get him to love her. Why? We get to the fourth son. Do you do you see what happens with the fourth son? Do you see the heart change that happens with the fourth son? It said. And she conceived again and bore a son, verse 35, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Do you remember what the promise was for Jacob? Remember what the prophecy was? That his descendant would be the descendant that would come and save us all. His descendant would be who we know as Jesus. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, it, you know, Rachel, the one who he's in love with, is barren. She's not having any children at the moment, anyway. And you see what happens. Leah continually is trying to have children to win his love. And finally, on the fourth child. So we're talking years here. I mean, think about this, like going through, you know, I got seven kids. It didn't, it took me a while to have four, okay? You know? That's a lot of years of buying diapers, let me just tell you. We're getting real close to the end of buying diapers. Praise the Lord. Fifteen years we've been buying diapers, okay? Usually for more than two children, you know? Uh, Never mind. I'm digressing. But this took some time. Leah had to stew on this. She's seeking the Lord. God's speaking to her heart. And by the time she gets to the fourth one, she says, not this time. This time it's not about Jacob. This time I'm going to praise the Lord. And she has a son and she names him Judah. Do you know who Judah ends up being? He ends up being the line that would continue the lineage that would lead to Jesus. Is this not how we see the Lord work so many times? How we see Him work in the unwanted, in the underdog, you know, and, and I mean, we all love a good underdog story, right? But I mean, what we see here is we see this, we see, number one, we see the sin that people, you know, have have created in this world just in a small... You know, scenario, people are like, oh, how God, let this happen. You know, this is, this is from Scripture. Listen, Scripture is oftentimes telling the story of us and our screw-ups. Was it part of God's plan? Is he going to use it for his glory? Yeah, he's going to use it for his glory because that's what he does. He's constantly redeeming our junk. And he's going to redeem their junk. In fact, I want to read this. Well, let's out of the book here from Keller. And it says this. It says, at this point in the story, many contemporary readers will be wondering, where are all the spiritual heroes in this story? Who am I supposed to be emulating? (laughs) That's a great question. What is the moral of the story? The reason for our confusion is that we usually read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. It is not. Rather, it comprises a single story telling us, how the human race got itself into its present condition. That's the fall of man. That's our sin. Okay? That's on us. And in in this one, it's on them. And how God, through Jesus Christ, has come and will come to put things right. In other words, the Bible doesn't give us a God at the top of a moral ladder saying, if you try hard to summon up your strength and live right... You can make it up. Instead, the Bible repeatedly shows us weak people who don't deserve God's grace, don't seek it, and don't appreciate it even after they have received it. If that is the great biblical story arc into which every individual spiritual narrative fits, then what do we learn from this story? What do we learn from this story? I think we learn that we've got to watch and we've got to be careful with how much we love anything, but especially even a person. We can't put put a person in our lives in the place that God needs to be. No one person is God. They are going to let us down. It is unfair to do that to them. It is unfair to expect someone to be perfect. To expect every situation to be perfect. This is where you see so many people go into relationships and the relationships end up, end up dying because there's these expectations of all these things. And whether it's you know, the romanticizing of things that they have watched in movies or read in books their whole lives or you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, and, and you might see a, a lot of that sometimes uh, with females, and then with males, a lot of times you see the, this other, you know, fantasizing of, of sexual uh, things of what this relationship's going to be about on that end, which is why we've got a trillion dollar porn industry. This is our worship we're making these things so very important in our lives that they are consuming us and we're putting expectations on someone that God has given us as a gift that they can't fulfill my wife is amazing if you don't know my wife she's amazing I mean, like, I'll be honest, if, if I probably struggle with anything in my life, in my heart that I could put on the pedestal, it's my wife, because to me, she seems perfect, she's beautiful, she's so hot, right, I mean, I know it, you don't have to tell me, I'm telling you, right, she's loving this right now she's like she can't, she, can't get en- she can't get enough of it. I had pictures, but you got spared because apparently they can't pull that trigger fast enough anymore. But I'll tell you, as we've been married, I've learned she's got flaws. First of all, she's left-handed. <laughs> if you're dating somebody that's left-handed right now, you might want to rethink that just saying. I'm just saying. I knew, I knew. See, I knew. I knew I'd, I'd find them real fast. They're, they're out there still using the green scissors from kindergarten because you're special. That's right. That's right. Oh, man, she likes to use all the syllables in her words but claims that she's not a Yankee. I'm letting that sink in for you for just a second. We don't use all the syllables and all of our words in the South. That's not what we do. She will not eat hot and spicy things, but yet she wants to share all of my food. (laughs) See how I said that? My food, right? Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Our identity has to be found in Christ. Our identity has to be found in Christ. I want to be the best husband that I can be for her. I want to be the best father that I can be for my kids. But that means that I need my identity to be found in Christ. Because when my identity is found in Christ, and He's my number one, He challenges me to the biblical level of expectations in my life of who I should be for them. Galatians 2.20 says this, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who ever loved me and gave himself for me. You remember what Keller said about making an idol out of something. If we make an idol out of something, we've become a slave to it. We don't, we don't see it that way in the moment, do we? We don't see that we have made ourselves a slave to a thing when we make an idol out of something. And I'm reminded of Romans 6.6, 6, which says this. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves enslaved to sin. We would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus came for the unwanted wife. Jesus came for the man that can't seem to be settled in anything in life, in a relationship, a job. He came for the lady that's having children trying to please her husband and win his love he came for the addict the addict of love the addict of porn he came for the addict who is addicted to a substance he came that we might become a part of the family of God that we might be forgiven that we might be made new that he may take our crazy stupid situations that we come up with in this life and redeem them and turn them into something great for his glory for his kingdom showing that he can work out anything he came us th- came that we would no longer be slaves not even to love And today the biggest question I can ask is have you ever received the true love of Jesus Christ in your life and allowed him to change your life to give you new life to give you purpose not have you gone to church a bunch not do you know about Jesus no do you know Jesus do you have a relationship with him he loves you he cares for you he wants to redeem all that mess in your life too he wanted to do it in mine I didn't deserve it I still don't deserve it but he did it anyway It's His grace. It's His love. I hope today that you would listen to Him if He is calling your name and saying, come to me. Listen. Run to Him. Let Him do the work in your life that only He can do to make you new and receive Him as your Savior. We'll be here in the end. Love to talk with you, pray with you about any of that. For the rest of us that are believers, may we, be people who can identify the idols in our lives. And especially if it's people that we love and care for so much that we would not put them on that pedestal. That is not fair to them. And that we would put Christ back there where he belongs and that we would be the best at who we've been called to be in this life for them, but more importantly, for his glory. Let's pray together. God, we come right now and ask, Lord, that you would bless this time that we have together and worship with you, Lord. I just pray that even in the next few moments as we take the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that we would be reminded of the very thing in which you did for us that we don't deserve and sending your Son to die on the cross. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that we have a chance, Lord, to not just know you, but to be changed by you, to be made new by you. God, Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for shed blood to forgive us of our sin. God, as we continue to worship you, be glorified in us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.